Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're looking at Exodus 34. And um, we've, been, we've been asking the question, what's God like? Which is a really good question. Obviously, people have all sorts of ideas and uh, largely make up one that's a bit like them. Because <laughs> it's, it's handy to have a God who thinks the same as you do. Because um, it's less troubling. But of course, we can't expect God to agree with us. We're supposed to be the other way round. That's obedience, isn't it? Is when you with, agree with God rather than telling him to agree with what <laughs> you want to do. So uh, we're looking at this, this incident in Moses' life, which is really probably one of the high points of the Old Testament where, where, um, uh, uh, where God reveals himself, because all we know of God is what he's shown us. It's lots of mystery, lots of things. I don't know about you, lots of things I don't understand about God and the world and my life. But what I do know what he's revealed. Uh, the Bible says the secret things belong to God. So some things where he says, you wouldn't understand if I told you, uh, or mind your own business. Uh, and, and he doesn't tell us. The secret things belong to God, but the things that he's revealed belong to us and to our children and their children. So the things that God's revealed, we want to grab hold of those. So uh, that's why we're reading from uh, Exodus 34. Uh, let's read verse 5 to um, 7 again of Exodus 34. The Lord came down in the cloud, on top of the mountain this is, and stood with Moses and proclaimed his name. And a name means his character, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bound down to the, to the ground and worshipped. I don't know if you could imagine yourself as a Hebrew slave. Just have a little, have a, have a little go. Uh, so if you could imagine yourself to be a Hebrew slave about one and a half thousand years BC, that's roughly the time this was happening uh, to these guys. And uh, you've been set free from slavery. That is fantastic. You're liberated, but now you're kind of wandering around in the desert. And uh, before, you were used to a culture where you were surrounded by loads of different gods. And they're all, to be honest, if you read about Egyptian gods, they're all scary. They're all, they're all frightening. They've all got to be appeased. You've got to keep on the right side of them because they're fickle. They can be mean and angry. And, and you want to keep them in... In your, you want to keep in their good books because you, you want your crop to succeed. You don't want to be hit by the slave driver. You, you want life to go well. You want to gain favour. And, and then what happens is this, this God of Abraham, Moses turns up and says, the God of Abraham, he, he's told me to set you free. So here you are. You're just one of, you know, a few thousands and thousands of people. You're set free. And all you know that this Lord Almighty has set you free. He's, so what is he saying? He's saying, well, he's stronger than all the other gods. So all you know is the strongest God, the almighty God, he set me free. But, but who is he? Well, he's, you know, he's Abraham. You know Abraham, your great, great, great grandfather. He's his, he's his God. Oh, OK, then. That's all, that's all you know. I don't know if you can imagine this kind of knowing so little. That's all they knew. Well, Abraham's God, the God Almighty, he's, he's set us free. And now you've, uh, and he's proved he's strong because he's opened the Red Sea. And he's provided for you. You've been picking up manna. I don't know what that was like. I don't know. 
Frosties on the floor every morning and you've been fed. So he's been kind to you. You haven't done anything. You've done nothing to deserve it. By the way, it's always like that. You've done nothing to deserve it, but he's been, he's been good. But who is this God? What's he like? He's, 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 he's bringing you through a new land, but what's he like? He's certainly not like the gods of Egypt. You know that much. He's not like that lot because he's been good to us. But what is he like? And um, last time we looked at that, God revealed that his name was Yahweh, which means the unchanging or always. So what God is, he always is. And it's a personal name. And that, that was interesting. Other gods have, have titles and their, I don't know, their snakes and their eyes and their all sorts of things. But God introduces himself as Yahweh because he wants a relationship with this people. He wants a relationship with you and me. He wants to be known by them, he wants to reveal himself to them. And uh, so that's, in that context, Moses says, <coughs> well, can I see your glory? Funny word, glory, isn't it? But it means he's, can I, can I see your presence and your beauty? I want to know more about you. He's, he's, he's seen these amazing miracles, but, he, but I want to know you. What are you actually like? And in answer, God says, well, you, you can't fully see me, you'd fry. You couldn't bear it. The human frame can't cope with it. But, but I'll, I'll pass by and I'll proclaim what I'm like. I'll proclaim my goodness. And that's what he does. He says, this is my name. And the bit I want just to meditate on for a few minutes this morning is, he says, he's compassionate and gracious. The Lord, compassionate and gracious. And when you get a word pole like this, it's, it's so easy to kind of just rush by, isn't it? It's just kind of thread words through our eyes but let's just think about it for a while sometimes that's a word pairing that you get all through you see it in the psalms you get it all through the bible uh, compassionate and gracious sometimes gracious because that's in hebrew and it gets translated into um into greek and then into english sometimes it's translated uh, compassionate and merciful but but it's the same kind of phrase it comes again and again so compassionate what's that mean it's from a, a hebrew word called raham but that doesn't matter it, it, the root of that word is actually womb that's a bit strange that's that's the root of it and what what the the idea is that that this yahweh he's he's got the same kind of feelings for us as a mother has for her child that's what compassion, to have, to have a, a feel for people like a mother has for her child. Now, I've never been a mother, but, but I've observed uh, Debbie, and, and there's a kind of, that's my wife, by the way, uh, I, it's a kind of intense, isn't it? In, in a mother, when, when a mother loves her child, there's an intense, deeply rooted, it's almost more that, it's almost physical. It's, it's emotional, but it's almost a physical yearning. It's a gut instinct. A child could be in an absolute awful, sick-covered mess, and still she wants to rush towards this uh, thing. <laughs> the, and, 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 and the child can behave absolutely terribly. And then, oh, you know, oh, I'm in a police van. Can you come and rescue me? And, uh, and, and what does the mum do? Yes, of course, I'm there. And, and the child can behave in terrible ways, but, but a mum still feels that, I've got uh, that compassion. That's right, isn't it? It's just that, that word, that, that maternal love. It's, it's, uh, let me read a couple of verses about it. Isaiah 59. Oh, sorry, I've got a wrong reference there. Anyway, the verse is, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? You can Google it. Can a mother forget a baby at her breast? 
and have no compassion on the child she has born, though she may forget, I will not forget you. That's God saying his love actually goes beyond the love of a mother. Uh, and, and you get a similar thing but about a father in Psalm 103, uh, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So God is compassionate about you this morning. God has a maternal and paternal yearning to care and love us. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I think, when I'm, and think some, sometimes how you behave. Think of the things you say that you'd rather not the, the person along the road knowing about. That, you know, those kind of, but God still has that compassionate love. Yahweh feels about us as a father or a mother feels about their children. Now, of course, for some of us, that doesn't connect as well because maybe our parents were, weren't great for us. You know, they were, maybe they were always mad, mad with us or they were absent or, or worse. But for others, you, you, you know what that feels like. You know when it works, there's no love as kind of fierce as a parent's love. It's kind of deep in your guts kind of love, deep in your soul kind of love. It's a love that's kind of stronger than death, as the Bible says. That's how God feels about you, because compassion is a feeling word. I don't know if we're happy with God having feelings, but he does. It's a feeling word. God feels deeply about his people. But he's so he's compassionate and he's also gracious. Now gracious takes it a step further because gracious is an action word. Back in primary school, it's a doing word. <laughs> it is. It's a Hebrew word, hanan, and it means to show favour, to do something. We love Brian and Pat, so we gave them something. Well, it's that, that's, that's, that's the kind of word it is. It's used in the Old Testament, this word, for very practical things. So um, in the law, it said, if you borrow someone's cloak, you've got to return it to them before, before the sun goes down because it might be the only blanket they've got. Uh, so that's a very pra practical, down-to-earth thing in, in, a, in a rural country where there's a lot of poor people. Okay, you've borrowed that, give it back. They might need it. That's, it's that kind of, that's compassion, it's practical action. Uh, it's, it's also used, to, don't, don't charge high interest on any loan you make because God is gracious. Give a cloak back, why? Well, because God's gracious and you should be. <laughs> don't charge high interest, why? Well, because God's gracious and so should you be. It's all because God is gracious, he shows favour. Or David quotes it when he, he's praying in Psalm 86 verse 14. Psalm 86, 14, David's praying to God and he's saying, arrogant foes are attacking me. They've got no regard for you, Lord, but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious. So turn to me and be gracious. So he's, he's saying, look, God, I'm in trouble. The baddies are after me. They've got, they don't care about you. They certainly don't care about me. You're compassionate and gracious. So come on, be gracious. That, that was the kind of prayer that he's praying. So Yahweh, our God, is always feeling like a mother or a father towards us, his beloved children, and he's always acting like a parent, coming to our rescue when we need his help. A very practical God. So let's just earth that a little bit more because let's just apply it just to our praying. When you come to God and pray or, or worship, it could be 
uh, in a prayer meeting, it could be in a small group, it could be you know, when you've had a grotty time at work and you're desperately feeling help, it could be all sorts of things. When you come into God, we're coming to a God who's compassionate and gracious, who feels and acts. But there's all sorts of ways of praying. Some people pray like this, they, they pray on the basis of what they've done. I say, God, but, but Lord, I, I've been good. I've been really good this year. Some, I mean, some of the things I did last year weren't so good, but this year I've good. I've behaved myself. I've given to Oxfam. I, put, I, I even bought my poppy. I didn't use last year's one. I've been, I've been really good. And I go to church. I give to charity. So be, because of that, Lord, could you just do such and such, please? Now, some people pray like that, but it, it's a kind of earnings mentality, isn't it? It's, I, I've clocked up this merit, so, so could you please be nice to me? <laughs> Some, I don't know if you've ever prayed like that. But, but the tr- truth is that's, that's kind of religion at its worst. It just shows we've not understood what God is like. And we really haven't understood our own sinfulness either, if we think we can clock up some merit with God. So that's one way you can pray, but it's, it's not the best way. How about this one? Some of us pray, and I, I, I must admit, I do this quite a lot, based on our circumstances, what's happening to me. And it goes something like, Lord, I'm the victim here. <laughs> you, ever done, you ever done that one? Well, sometimes we are. Sometimes I just feel sorry for myself. So, Lord, I'm the victim here. Life is tough. And Lord, this just does not seem fair. Now, God can cope with that kind of prayer. In fact, there's some good examples in the Psalms of laments. When you go to God and say, and he's got very broad shoulders, so he can cope. When you go to God and say, God, this is not fair. What about this? Uh, uh, this has happened, that's gone wrong. The interest rates are going up. That's happening. My foot hurts. And, uh, and so can you sort this out, please? Now, that, God can cope with that kind of prayer. It's okay. God hears us. But there's a better way, and it's this. It's to come to God based on who he is. And, and, and that's what the, the Bible encourages us to do. Lord, thank you that you're compassionate, that you feel for me in what I'm going through. Thank you that you're gracious, that you act. And, and God, you don't owe me anything. I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But you've given me a new life and I thank you for that. And because you're always merciful, I bring to you this problem. And, and that's, that's what I want to encourage us to do, is to remember who God is and pray on the basis of who he is. So, so let, let me tell you a, a different story to make a different point. Do you remember Jonah? Do you remember Jonah? I, you know, Jonah and the whale, listen to my tale and all of that, way down in the middle of the ocean. Remember that? Oh, it's a long time ago, Pat, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, no, he was sent to Nineveh and they were the baddies as far as Israel could concerned. Uh, uh, it was the, uh, um, Nineveh was the savage capital of Assyria. And, it, and Jonah was told to announce its destruction. Uh, and he didn't want to go, not because he was actually pleased with the news they were going to be destroyed. It wasn't that. It was because they were vicious. He didn't want to go. He ran the opposite direction. Let me, let me get, I found a quote by a couple of Assyrian kings. Um, these aren't suggestions if anyone's expecting a baby. But how about Shalmaneser II? Maybe not. Anyway, he said this after he'd... Um, he'd beaten a city, he said this, a pyramid of heads I reared up in front of his city, their youth and maidens I burnt in the flames. That, that was the kind of place, that was the kind of, you know, you think we've got problems. Uh, they, they were the kind of rulers uh, in Assyria. Or his son, Sennacherib, 
no takers, okay. He, when he defeated a king, he said this, I flayed him. Ugh, don't think about it too much. His skin I spread on the wall of the city. Oh, I know. That, so at the very least you can say these were not nice people. <laughs> these were not nice. So Jonah runs. And actually, interestingly, it doesn't say he ran from um, the, the Ninevites. It says he ran from the Lord which, as you know, is hopeless, because wherever you go, he's there in front of you, and he's behind you, and he's all around you. So anyway, eventually, you know the whale story, eventually he got there, and, and he announces, 40 days' time, this city's going to burn. And uh, you can see him quite enjoying that message. And, um, but in a kind of, uh, we know the story, but in an unseen twist, an unexpected twist, the city repents. He wasn't expecting that. They in other words, they turn around, they go the opposite direction, they destroy their idols, the king begs God for mercy, he calls a day of national prayer and repentance, and, and then the Bible says this in Jonah 3 verse 10, God relented. In fact, literally it says God repented. God, God changed his mind. I don't know if you can cope with a God who changes his mind, but that's what the Bible says. There was no destruction. Now, God never changes. His nature is always the same. But in his dealings with us, there's, there's a wonderful flexibility. He reacts, because he's a person, he's a personal God, he reacts. We do this, he does that. We do something different, he, he changes. There's a dynamic to it. Pete's going to church, he's a personal God. He responds when we respond. When we're open, he does more. When we're close, he, does, he withdraws a bit and then until we come after him again. There's a to and fro. Uh, John Mark Como, uh, a really good um, teacher, he says this, there's an elasticity, I like that word, in his dealings with people. I like that. There's flex, there's nuance in the way he deals with people. So the city is not gonna get burnt. Jonah announces it is gonna get burnt. The people repent. God says, no, I'm not gonna do it now. She's kind of good if you need to repent. <laughs> but Jonah is furious. He is so angry. And, and you know what he does? He quotes Exodus 34 back to God. He does, he starts, he starts, I don't know if you've ever started quoting the Bible at God like he doesn't know it already. Anyway, he starts quoting the Bible back to God. Jonah 4, verse 2 and 3, he says, oh, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, but he's, he's not kind of happy about it. He said, I knew, I, I knew, flipping neck, I knew it. I knew if I preached, you, they'd say sorry, you'd change your mind, and I look a twit. And anyway, I don't like them and I want them burnt. That, 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 that's basically Jonah. He's a grumpy prophet. He, he is. He's a, he's a real, he's a racist grumpy prophet. He didn't like the Assyrians, and he had some reason for that, of course. But that, see, but, but we can laugh at Jonah, and I think it is quite funny, in a, in a rather revolting way. But, but if you think about it, we, we all love God being gracious and compassionate with us. Don't we? And a few of my friends. That's, that's how, that's our natural, we like God to be gracious and compassionate, but here's the thing. He's gracious and compassionate to all who turn to him. To, to the bad people, to the person who's hurt you or me, to the person who's gossiped about you behind your back, to the person that abandoned you all those years ago, to the person that's, but that's treated you so unfairly. He's gracious, he blesses all sorts of unsavoury characters. And some of us are amongst them. 
He, he does. He blesses all sorts of unsavoury characters. You can't keep God from showing grace to those who don't deserve it. You just can't hold him back. You can't trust God not to be gracious. Does that make sense? It's not the way it's normally put. You can't trust God not to be compassionate. He just, that is who he is. And he's Yahweh, so he's always like that. He's the always gracious and compassionate. It comes out of who he is. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Have you ever found yourself just a tinsy bit cross that God has blessed someone that hurt you? It's an awkward question. You don't have to, you don't have to tell me about it. I, I've had that experience where you think, I, I, I would really rather that things went bad for them. And then, you, and, then, and then you have to go and say sorry to God because it's not, not a very nice thought, really, is it? It's not the way we should think. But none of us actually deserve his blessings. None of us deserve his mercy. That's how he is. So we've remembered Joseph. What about Jesus? He, he uses this same teaching. How about this, Matthew 5? He said, love your enemies. We all know that verse. We don't like it, but we, we know it. Love your enemies. That's, and Jesus grounds, let me turn to it, he grounds his teaching in, in exactly the same truth, who God is. It's Matthew chapter 5. I'll get there, here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard it was said, love your enemy and hate your, love your neighbour, but hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, who causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? So Jesus here, do you notice his teaching is grounded in God's character. He says, love your enemies, hate people, uh, love people, pray for people who persecute you, because... That's what your father's like. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He, he sends, and this is an agricultural countryside they're talking about. Rain and sun is, is what calls, gives people prosperity. So he's saying, hey, you know you're that God who's annoying because he shows grace to people who you think don't deserve it. He, he shows grace to people that even have done you harm. He's, that's how good he is. Well, be like him. It's a challenge, isn't it? So it's, we all rejoice, God's so gracious. But he's saying, hey, you're my children, you be gracious too. And so there's a challenge in it as well. But Jesus is like that all the time. What do the 10 lepers say to Jesus? Jesus, have mercy. Well, he's always compassionate and merciful, so he heals them. Or Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everyone's telling him to shut up, but he's pleading, he's praying on the basis of who God is. Be gracious, be merciful to me. And then he teaches, doesn't he? And Jesus is teaching. God is like a father who accepts the child back, who's behaved so terribly, runs towards those who even begin to turn to, to him. So we, we, we're going to finish there, but what's the so what here? The first is let's, let's keep enjoying the compassion and the grace of God. Let's enjoy the grace of God. It's, it's not a doctrine. Well, it is a doctrine because I'm teaching it. It's more than that. It's what God's like. Let's enjoy a gracious God. Hebrews 4 says, you can approach a throne of grace. It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? A, a throne where you can ask for stuff you don't deserve, <laughs> you haven't earned. You can approach the throne of grace with 
confidence. So let's appeal to God on the basis of his compassion and ask for his grace, because that's what he's always like. So that's to do with praying, I guess, and worshipping and, and coming right into his presence. And so enjoy the grace of God. And here's the second one. Let's accept the challenge. There's a, there's a big challenge in this, really. Jesus is gracious and compassionate, and he asks us to be the same. I don't know about you, sometimes I am, and then there's the other times, if I'm honest. But let's accept the challenge. God, fill me with your spirit so that I'll have gentleness and kindness and compassion, faithfulness and love and self-control. Jesus said, hey, love your enemies, pray for them, so that you'll be like, you'll be children of your Father in heaven. So he's saying, hey, you've got a Father in heaven, you're his children, show the family resemblance. Be gracious, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. I don't know what your enemies look like, but maybe a better question is, how can we, who can we be compassionate and gracious towards? It may, it may be this week, there'll be some people that, that come across your path and you think, oh, no, now I've got to put it into action. <laughs> this is a God-given opportunity to be gracious and compassionate. But know this, when we are gracious and compassionate, we're showing that we're growing in the family likeness. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious. Amen? Amen. Amen.